The scripture reading today will be taken from Acts chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Acts chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. It's been a topsy-turvy day or two in the Mid-South. And we hope and pray that we can get through today. And then tomorrow, hopefully and prayerfully, sunny skies will be on the horizon. And so if we can just make it through today. But we appreciate your presence. If you're visiting, we want you to know that we do count you as an honored guest. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. If you're looking for a church home, we would invite you to consider the work here. I know that the elders here would be more than happy to sit down and talk to you about the many opportunities for service in this congregation. Today we're going to be talking about the theme, Why I Am a Christian. I'm sure that all of us from time to time have been asked why we are a follower of Christ Jesus. Why would you want to be a Christian? Why would you choose to live your life for the Son of God? Well, I think that all of us ought to be able to give an answer as to why we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter said, we are to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 15. What I want to do is give you three reasons why I believe every person ought to consider becoming a child of God. And I really believe that all of us, it's incumbent on us to weigh the evidence and then ultimately draw our own conclusions. And so, with that in mind, let me begin by suggesting that I am a Christian because of the blessings it affords us in this life. At best, life is hard. And yet, to know that in Christ and through Christ, my life can be much richer and much sweeter ought to give me some incentive for following the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about the blessings that are attendant on those who would be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, I guess probably first and foremost, I think about the word deliverance because really Christianity is a religion that affords us deliverance from a life of sin that ultimately ends in spiritual death, separation from Almighty God. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he talked about the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that you and I need, every spiritual blessing, those are in Christ. And that's one of the reasons why we need to be in Christ and we need to be a follower of the Lord. Now I said a moment ago, that we talk about deliverance, deliverance from a life of sin. When Paul wrote to the saints in Colossae, he said, giving thanks unto the Father, who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us out of the power of darkness, 
and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so as we think about this wide array, this wide array of spiritual blessings that are in Christ, let me first of all remind you that one of those spiritual blessings is pardon. Pardon from a life of sin. Freedom from sin. All of us, according to Paul, are in sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are a lot of people that try to deal with this problem of sin in a number of ways. Some people look to, to dealing with, with sin through, through the bottle that we would call alcohol. Some try to deal with sin by means of appeal. There are some that, that seek any number of avenues to deal with this problem that's called sin. And yet in Christ we have pardon. Again, think about what Paul said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1 verse 7. To know that every sin, whatever I've said, whatever I've done, wherever I've been, everything can be washed away in Christ Jesus. I think about those people on Pentecost Day. Some of, some of those people had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Luke tells us when they were cut to the heart or pricked in their heart, they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. In other words, so that your sins can be washed away, forgiven. And that's something that all of us can enjoy in Christ. A second reason, a second thing, I think, that we need to consider when we talk about these spiritual blessings that are in Christ is peace. You and I, in Christ Jesus, we enjoy the peace that passes all understanding, according to Philippians chapter 4. Those who are in a life of sin, they may think that they have peace in their lives. And yet Isaiah tells us that there is no peace for the wicked. Why do you think individuals in our world today consume their lives with alcohol, with chemical dependency? Why do you think people in our world today are looking for some, some means of escape? It's because of guilt. It's because of the burden of sin. And yet Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through this system of faith, the gospel of Christ... When we obey it, ultimately we enjoy peace with God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of Christ, for he is our peace. Think about this. When Isaiah wrote some 700 years before Jesus came into the, came into the world, Isaiah spoke of Christ as the prince of peace. Did you know that the prince of peace can give you peace? He has the ability to provide you with peace that the world cannot offer. When we begin to ask the question, why be a Christian? If somebody were to ask you, why are you a Christian? Why are you a child of God? 
Well, first of all, you need to think about all of the blessings that are in Christ, those spiritual blessings, pardon from sin, peace through the Savior. Let me give you a third thing that I think we ought to think about. And this has to do with, with the fact that in Christ we are somebody. We are a part of the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that we are God's own possession. In other words, we belong to Him. When Paul wrote to the saints in Corinth, he said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You and I, we belong to Jehovah God. When John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God, the children of God. Did you know that there are young people today that are gang members because they want to identify with a group? They want to be what they would consider to, they want to, they want to, to be somebody. That's what they're looking for. They want to be included in some group, in some quote-unquote family context. And so they look, they look to a gang. There are people today that have become followers of Islam because they think that religion will make them somebody. If you want to be somebody, I can assure you that somebody is not in a gang, it's not in Islam, it's in Christ. You can be somebody in the body of Christ. You and I, as God's people, we are said to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ in Romans 8, verse 17. And so to know that in Christ we are somebody, that we belong to Jehovah God, that He is our Father, and that just as our earthly Father loves us and cares for us, provides and protects us, our Heavenly Father does the same, if not more so. And then finally, I would think about the protection that we enjoy in Christ. And I would link to this the privilege of prayer. The Hebrew writer said in the long ago, speaking on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, what shall man do unto me? Did you know that the Lord is standing beside us 24-7? You and I, we have the blessings of knowing that God is at our side. That God will never leave us nor forsake us. And when we face those difficulties and trials and tribulations in life, we can turn to Him in prayer. Prayer is one of the greatest resources that we have in Christ. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. No wonder Paul said, pray without ceasing. The Hebrew writer said that we are to draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Prayer is available to us as a child of God. And so when somebody asks you, why are you a Christian? Why do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, think about all of the blessings that it affords you. Think about those many spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. The fact that the Lord will be with you, come what may. That you can turn to Him 
in prayer, whatever you face in this life. Let me give you a second reason why I'm a Christian and why I would hope that everyone would consider becoming a child of God. I'm a Christian because of the burdens of life. And this has to do with the difficulties that we face in life. I said a moment ago that at best, life is not easy. If you live long enough on this earth, you're going to face some troubles. You're going to face some trials. You're going to face some hard times. Now, all of us, we understand that temptation is a, is a common part of life. And James talks about the temptations, those, those inward temptations that confront us as a result of the work of the devil. But I think about those outward trials that are so common to those of us who live here on planet earth. Job wrote in the long ago, man born of woman is a few days, listen to him, and full of trouble. I said a moment ago, if you live long enough, you're going to face some troubles in this life. What kind of troubles will you and I face? Let me just provide for you at least four different things that I believe all of us face in this life. And before I, before I talk about these things that we're confronted with, let me just say this. In light of, of the complexities and difficulties of life, wouldn't you rather face it with the Lord? Wouldn't you rather face those things with the Lord in your life rather than facing them alone? I would rather know that God is on my side and at my side rather than to think that I have to face the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties of life unaided without God's help. Number one, we're going to face sickness in life. Now you can go back and read the Old Testament, you can read the New Testament, and you'll read about many individuals whose lives were filled with sickness. In the Old Testament, I think about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of God's good kings. And yet in 2 Kings chapter 20, God sent Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah, and God said to Hezekiah, set your house in order, for you're going to die and not live. Hezekiah, as you well know, was sick. He had some, some kind of, of boil. And the Bible says he immediately turned his face to the wall and prayed to God. And God said, I have heard your prayers, I've seen your tears, and ultimately I'm going to heal you. He added 15 years to the life of Hezekiah. In the New Testament, we read, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 8, of Peter's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And the Bible tells us that she was sick with a fever. In John chapter 11, we read of Mary and Martha sending word to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was sick. Sickness is a common part of life. All of us, whether young or old, rich or poor, black or white, it doesn't matter. All of us have been sick at some point in time in life. And sadly, if we live long enough, we'll be sick again. It's just a part of life. But not only do we face sickness, but also suffering. You see, with sickness comes suffering. With disease comes suffering. I'm reminded of so many people in our world, people within this congregation, people in the body of Christ, people outside the body of Christ that face some very real diseases in life, some 
very real suffering. Suffering can literally bring you to your knees. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about the Apostle Paul. And Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh that was given unto him. He said that it was given unto him to buffet him. And in writing to the church at Corinth, he said, I besought the Lord three times that it would depart from me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You ever thought about how much Paul suffered in this life? When you have the opportunity, go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And note all of the things that he faced in this life and then keep that chapter in mind and go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he said, For our light affliction, which seems but for a moment. Now when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and I think about all of the, the difficulties and the perils and the anxieties that he faced in life, the last word that I would, that I would use in writing to somebody to, to talk about the trials that I'm facing would be the word light. And yet Paul said, our light affliction. Paul knew about human suffering. Let me give you another example, Job. Look at the life of Job. Job buried ten children. You want to talk about human suffering? Job not only lost ten children, but he lost a great deal of his wealth. His herds were destroyed. Not only did he lose his children... A great deal of his wealth, but he lost his own health. His wife said, curse God and die. It's hard for us to imagine the suffering of Job. And yet this, this poor man suffered immensely. And here's what he had to say in chapter 13. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Despite all that was going on in his life, Job understood he needed to trust in Jehovah God. So we're going to face sickness. We're going to face suffering. But then also, it may be the case that we face the loss of a job, our livelihood. A loss of employment usually means financial reversals. Think about how many people in our society today have lost their jobs. Think about how many people today are upside down financially because of the economy. And yet, and yet to know that even though we face financial reversals, even though we face the loss of, of employment, we can turn to God. I said a moment ago, I would rather face tough times with God at my side than to face them without Him. To know that God is at my side. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 46. God is a refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. I don't care what you're facing in this life. I don't care how bad things may be. How dark the situation may look. God is a refuge for you in times of trouble. And that's one reason we need to be a Christian. To know that in the darkest hours of life, we can look to God. And then finally, let me suggest that another foe that we face in this life is death. 
How many people have lost loved ones over the past week associated with this congregation? And then you add to that those outside this congregation that have been affected by the loss of a loved one, by the loss of a friend. We talk about the, the, torme- the tornadoes, the bad weather that we, we've been experiencing here in the Mid-South. And to know that many times bad weather, inclement weather, tornadoes, that not only do they wreak havoc on physical property, material goods, but sometimes people suffer the loss of loved ones. You see, Jesus, he understood what it was like to lose a loved one. Read John chapter 11. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 11 that Jesus wept. The tears that are shed when we lose family members, loved ones, those who are near and dear to us, those that that we love and trust and confide in on a regular basis. But to know that one day death will be swallowed up in victory. I like the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When he wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he wrote to provide them with assurance of those that they had lost due to death in Christ. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. Let me tell you what, when you and I bury a loved one, In Christ, we do so in anticipation of the resurrection. We know that one day that physical body that is placed in the grave, God will raise up. And so, to know that God is with us, even when we experience the loss of a loved one, and to know that there is a brighter day coming. Let me give you a third reason why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because of its blessings in life. I'm a Christian because of the burdens of life, and I am a Christian because of the brevity of life, the duration of life. Let me tell you what. You and I, we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age here upon this earth. We might even live to be 100. But compare that to eternity. The duration of life Here's something that all of us need to think about. And that is the passing of life. Before you know it, life is over with. David wrote in the book of Psalms, I was young and now I am old. I hear individuals talk from time to time. I think back over the years and I can remember older, more mature people telling me, the older you get in life, the faster life seems to pass. And that's so true. Really, what you, what you realize is that life is running out, that you're running out of time. There was a gentleman, a member of the church, who penned a book at the end of his life. And that book was titled, I See That My Time Is Up. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 14, verse 1, life is, is fleeting. In Psalm 90, at verse 10, the psalmist said, The days of our years may be threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, 
Yet is there strength, sorrow, and labor. It is soon cut off and we fly away. What was the psalmist saying on that occasion? All he's saying is that you may live to be 70 or 80 years of life, but 80 years of age, but at some point in time, your life is going to be cut down. And so in verse 12, he would say, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. And so one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because of the brevity of life. I understand I'm not going to be here forever. You and I, we're not going to be here on planet Earth forever. 100 years from now, where will we be? If the Lord delays His coming, now there may be a baby or two here that might be alive in 100 years, but for the most part, all of us will be where? We'll be in eternity. And so, the passing of life, but then there is the preparation in this life. Eternity looms before all of us. We may not like to think about it. We may try to put it out of our minds. We may avoid the subject, but the fact of the matter is, eternity is looming before us all. And let me tell you, when we talk about living the Christian life and the brevity of life, here's what you and I need to understand. Here's what we need to take away from this. There are only two options when it comes to eternity. Option number one is we can go to heaven. Option number two is we can go to hell. Those are the only two options. Now I'm going to be up front with you. I do not want to go to hell. I do not know of anybody in his or her right mind that will say, I want to go to hell. There is not a person in this world rightly thinking that would make the statement, I want to go to hell. Now I've heard people make fun of hell. I've heard people downplay hell. I've heard individuals trivialize hell. I've heard individuals talk as if hell's going to be just a place where there's a big party. But let me tell you what, that's not the case. The Bible says that hell is a real place. It's called the Gehenna of, of fire. It is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said it is a place of outer darkness. It is a place described as a lake of fire. It is a place described as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Now you tell me, who would want to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. And so if I don't want to go to hell, what's the only other option? Heaven. Why would I want to go to heaven? Well, in Revelation chapter 21, I read about this new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And I read that that abode described as heaven is a place where there will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrows. For as John said, all these things are passed away. You see, when you and I step out into eternity, there is either the prospect of going to heaven or going to hell. 
And to those of us who are here today, I think that I could safely conclude all of us want to go to heaven. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a real place. It is a prepared place for prepared people. You have to make preparation to go to heaven. And I don't think when John wrote in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, I don't think he missed that point when he wrote and said in the long ago, the bride has made herself ready. You've got to make yourself ready. You've got to make preparation to go to heaven. You've got to obey the gospel. In other words, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him, Hebrews 11. You've got to be willing to repent, to give up a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. To confess His name before others, Matthew 10, verse 32. To be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. And then you have to be faithful until death. Otherwise... You forfeit that crown of life that Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. And so, making ourselves ready. Why am I a Christian? Why are you a Christian? I would hope that we are a Christian because of the great blessings it affords. Because of the burdens that we face in life. And because of the brevity of life. Maybe you're here today and you haven't thought about eternity maybe you have been living as if you're going to live here on earth forevermore well the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die after this cometh the judgment one day all of us will bow in the presence of almighty God we'll give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done whether good or bad Paul said in Revelation, or rather in Romans chapter 14, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Are you ready for that day? If you're here today and you're not a child of God, you're not living faithfully, would you come as we stand and sing?